part one chapter six of if all these young men by romer wilson the slibrivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine part one berkshire chapter six england that same night when sebastian hunt lay in bed in his cottage bedroom at east newton he thought as he watched the window of moonshine cast upon the opposite wall how blessed was solitude the room was small and dark and the bed in which he lay smelt of calico sheets washed in strong soap on his right was the window of glass and wood looking out upon the war since the world had become war and upon his left was the window of white moonlight and black shadows looking out upon the blankness of perfect happiness the floor of the attic was covered with an old carpet of brussels twill faded to a freckled brown like the backs of a million bees except at the bedside where it was worn to a bald patch of dusty canvas upon the wall hung one text seek and thou shalt find me in sparkling silver letters among forget-me-nots and upon the mantelpiece below it stood sebastian's sole personal ornament a photograph of everett sharp it was cold in bed to-night therefore he sat up and dragged his old fur coat off the chair beside him and struggled to spread it over the bed without getting out it was heavy and comforting so he drew himself together under it in order to get the full benefit of the warmth and as the perfect silence crept over him closed his eyes and fell into a peaceful sleep the night passed slowly and he slept on in the cottage under the downs from which the silence rolled like a vague majestic ocean groaning with the undertones of the rotation of the earth at the turn of the night it began to rain and at daybreak the whole country was grey with driving rain which spluttered against the bedroom window and beat upon the thatch the noisy sparrows under the eaves shook themselves angrily and fluttered up and down in the garden after worms the tomcat who had been out all night gathered himself up on the doorstep and brooded there with one eye on the sparrows waiting for the door to be opened the draught under the door made his paws cold so he blew himself out and crouched down with his paws folded up underneath him he was angry and tired and his fur was covered with minute drops of water that in places had penetrated to his skin but he sat there patiently dozing and dreaming for two hours until half-past eight when the bolts were drawn at the sound of the bolts being shot back he at once stood up and mewed and the door was hardly open before he ran into the kitchen where a stick fire roared in the grate and a frying pan gave out an odour of frying fat his mistress in her blue apron informed him that mr hunt whom he disliked was here again so tommy she said don't sit under the fire or the fat will fall out on you tom had long ago discovered that the fat to which she referred and which smelt pleasant never left the pan but that her feet which she did not mention were always in the way he did not attempt to point this out to her for she had an inferior understanding so he went to his cane chair beside the dresser and began to wash soon mrs hext carried mr hunt's breakfast into an adjoining room which smelt also of washed cotton and very old air and put it down upon the white napkin that covered a portion of the red and black tablecloth on the round table the table had only one leg in the centre carved with little round roses and tassels and celery leaves and the top and sides were veneered with mahogany root the fire was not lighted 
because mr hunt had expressed his intention of being out all day and indeed it seemed impossible that a fire could ever replace the pink paper splendour in the grate or glow between the plush curtains of the overmantel in front of the nailed-up window stood two pots of thin geraniums in saucers and two mother-of-pearl shells upon crocheted mats and in the centre upon a piece of sparkling flint a naked sea-urchin was balanced mr hunt was not down yet so mrs hext called up to him as she went back to the kitchen your breakfast is ready sir to which he replied in a cheery tone a little rusty from disuse all right mrs hext and in a few minutes she heard him stumbling heavily down the stairs and hardly knew as she thought why don't he marry that she saw a picture of him coming down the stairs with his head covered by an old felt hat thrust forward and his eyes turned up to avoid hitting his head on the ceiling or that in her mind a pale flickering smile of pleasure from his lips hung cheshire cat-like in the stairway even after he had gone down mrs hex had become sentimental in regard to men since she was widowed sebastian went into the sitting-room and began to eat his breakfast but he was not particularly interested in the fried eggs and bacon or tea and having half finished he got up and went into the kitchen to ask mrs hex to make him a few sandwiches for lunch she had nothing she declared but pickled onions and some cheese but he said that was good enough and while he returned to finish his breakfast she made him some thick cheese sandwiches in which she put a little bacon and mustard with an arch look at tom who was so surprised that he stopped his endless washing with a jerk and stared her in the face presently mr hunt came in with his dilapidated felt hat on the back of his head carrying an old mackintosh and said may i have my cheese and onions mrs hext she gave him the parcel and winked at tom as if to say he don't know there's a bit of our bacon in there or that you and me will eat a bit of what he might have had if he had stayed in chops for supper then cried mr hunt i shall be hungry i suppose you could not get a pint of beer on sunday and you might get a pint for yourself and a nip for tom mrs hext thought his way of speaking admirably matched his behaviour which was odd and accordingly she answered indulgently to his suggestion about the beer i will see what i can try and then as she let him out of the kitchen door into the garden remarked what bad weather sir and what a pity for the holiday yes it is a pity said mr hunt who was struggling with his overcoat but it is nice all the same mrs hext she closed the door after him and he found himself outside in the pouring rain everything was saturated and the daffodils and primroses in the little garden were weighted down with water and splashed with grit and mud the rain was so heavy that he could not light his pipe in the open so he went under the old outshed roof and as he puffed at his pipe watched the weather the downs were behind him and to the left and in front of him lay the little village and orchards of east newton soft and grey in the streaming weather with wet slates and roofs and coping-stones shining bright with rain after a minute he left the earthy smelling shed and went into the road where turning southward he began to walk quickly when he was some distance from the village he calculated that he was alone and taking off his spectacles looked up into the sky and let the rain wash his face and an old man sitting under a sack in the hedge smoking a clay pipe watched him with curiosity and thought this is one of the lads that won't fight he wiped his spectacles and put them back on his nose 
and then went on again gay and filled with tender excitement he went up the road until he came to a wood the borders of which were blue with dog violets and as his heart leaped sprang forward up the low bank and pushed his way through the hazel hedge into the wood hazel bushes grew on every side and as he pushed his way through them their twigs covered with green buds struck against his hat and face and body and for some distance around him the hazel coppice was in agitation the wood was light and filled with the pungent smell of wet leaf mould and the faint scent of violets primroses and anemones and as his feet disturbed the sodden leaves and crushed the bluebells which were not yet in flower the woodland smell rose around him and made him begin to sing a meaningless song as if he were a bird he went on and presently emerged in an open space where cherry trees stood in flower their white boughs weighed down with silver raindrops as he sprang up to break off a branch his hat rolled on to the ground and a shower of water shook down out of the cherry tree and pattered upon his head he sang louder and sprang up again for another branch and wished he could get the one above it which he was sure was whiter and then he wanted the one above that and the one higher still right to the top of the tree which was as white as snow the beauty of the cherry tree filled all the world it was all that he could see and for a moment it threw out its branches in his mind and he became a cherry tree rooted to the spot as people say in admiration of cherry tree beauty which seemed to be his own when he went on again his first happiness was over and he became a little more serious-minded and began to think about himself whom he conceived as romantic and in this mood he arrived at the base of the bare downs which were dotted with gorse and juniper bushes the gorse was already in flower and he recollected that when gorse is out of blossom kissing is out of fashion and he had once almost kissed josephine the sweetness of the gorse blossom was like the sweetness of new kisses and in the sentimentality of the moment and in the renewal of youth's delight he wished that josephine were with him in which case he would give her at any rate one kiss and the thought made him feel not a little daring as if she had sprung up like the fairy queen from behind a gorse bush crying harp and carp true thomas she said harp and carp along with me and if you dare to kiss my lips sure of your body i will be as he went uphill his mind was possessed by her until the vision broke and he found himself sweating as he climbed up the hill alone again behind the hill he seemed to be hidden from the world the slope of the down was the back side of creation for a moment he felt as if he were hanging head downwards into the sky then the world righted itself and he came out over the brow of the hill here he was in the world again back from fairyland with the everlasting wind penetrating his clothing and blowing cold on his breast and he behaved as men usually behave on hilltops when nature is their only love and breathed deep to fill his lungs with cold air and shook himself free of civilization the hills and valleys rolled away to the south under grey mists shot with wet lights and shadows the rain fell heavily in a slanting direction from west to east out of a firmament of majestic clouds hung in grandeur over the wet blue country sebastian stood upon the chalky hilltop a little time but his feelings drew him down again into the valley for he was not in a mood to suffer the inevitable ecstasy of loneliness in contemplation of the world round his feet because he could not do so without suffering the memory of the war he was in a mood for spring and the feelings of men as human beings 
and did not wish to stand up there until he became aware of the secrets of the universe too much was to be seen and too much comprehended on the top of a hill gradually he came down into the valley towards bersham and passing a little plantation of firs and cherries bordered all round with violets he decided to shelter inside it and eat his lunch but on entering it he found it was a cold and gloomy pit scattered with old tin cans the ground was completely covered with melancholy ivy which had wrapped itself about the trunks of the old fir trees and slender larches so that they rose around him like funeral pillars round a corpse here and there the snake-spotted arum had pierced the matted carpet and sebastian bent down and plucked a leaf expecting it to shriek like a mandrake root but no sound broke the silence go and catch a falling star get with child a mandrake root he thought as he went out again into the open and all the sadness of life came upon him go and catch a falling star yes he said as he threw himself on some dry spines outside the den but there are none to catch he felt the war swinging beneath life everything was thrown out of the norm by it everything was made strange odd mad and terrible for a moment if it had been possible he would have given his life to prevent the sensation of having his brain sucked out of his head but he could not formulate what he felt and in a few minutes the pain passed as it had passed before ten times a day a hundred times a day or more according to his state of exhaustion presently he began to eat his lunch before him swelled the well-harrowed field blushing with young corn and over the curve he could see a hedge of blackthorn and budding may-trees all softly pink and white against a little wood of black yews here and there on the swell of the mouse-coloured field white chalk showed beneath the corn shoots and the sight of its bloom upon the earth and the softness of the hawthorn trees soothed him and his harsh fit of despair passed down fell the rain and created a pattering and a rattling upon the ivy tod above his head but he was quite warm and dry beneath all around him grew field violets but he did not care about them because they were not scented he gazed at the swelling field before him and his heart swelled a sigh struggled through him and he felt as if he were choking exile from the human community and exile from the boundless beauty of nature crushed him on each side he grudged himself his life which parted him from the dust and more he grudged himself his bread which imprisoned him in brick walls and parted him from england end of part one chapter six recording by expatria in bangor maine